text, just right there on the same page, John's Gospel, chapter number one. And you should also have a little sermon notes page. It has uh, a quick little summary and uh, our points and some little uh, helpful little subpoints. hopefully. I may not mention those all, but uh, you can find those, uh, figure out where I'm at uh, as we're going along. So John's Gospel, chapter number one, and we're going to read verses one through 18. And here's what the Lord says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And to all of these words, all of God's people say, Amen. Well, do you know the technical theological word that encapsulates and expresses our response to these wonderful words and profound verses this morning? Wow. (laughs) That's the technical jargon for it. Wow. We read these wonderful words again, these profound verses, and I hope and pray in our hearts we uh, can say that. We can say, wow. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, the great uh, preacher of the ancient church, once told a story that the philosophers the unbelieving philosophers of his age in the Roman Empire, when they read these words, John's Gospel, the prologue, verses 1 through 18, uh, the the philosophers said, these words should be written in golden letters on the walls of every single church in the Roman Empire to see. That's how profound these words uh, are and have been throughout the history of the Christian church. And so we conclude our little Advent series uh, this morning before we have our festival of lessons and carols this afternoon just a few uh, few minutes from now uh, advent's all about the past i've been saying and it's all about the future as well and we look back in faith to what god has promised and to what god has kept in sending a savior to the world but we also are looking forward in hope to his coming again to make all things new and john 1 points us backwards and surprisingly forwards to the beginning and as well to the end we go back before 
Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, in fact, into that eternal relation and plan of God to save. But we also move forwards to the one who recreates all things in the end. It's also a text that speaks to you and to me of our beginning and our end. I'll come to that at the very end. But it speaks to you and to me as well as uh, of, of our beginning and our end too. Uh, we find here something of our, the beginning of our spiritual life. We become children of God and our end, our goal of developing and maturing in our relationship with God that will last forever with the God who is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, he is the Almighty. Note how the gospel does begin here and how it doesn't begin. So, there are four Gospels. These are the stories uh, that are pro- proclaiming to us the life and the ministry, the work of what Jesus, the Messiah, uh, has done. And there's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and we come to the fourth Gospel this morning, which is John. But note how this Gospel not only does begin, but also how it doesn't begin. When I read those words, and as you look down and see them, I hope, uh, even now, uh, what, are, what do these words remind you of? Genesis. These words should remind us of Genesis and the creation of the heavens and the earth. Uh, We saw a few months ago, uh, a few weeks ago, in the the beginning uh, of the Hebrew Bible, in Genesis 1, verse 1, uh, we read, but a sheet, in the beginning. And John uses here, in the beginning of his gospel, the, the Greek translation of that Hebrew opening of the Bible. And he says here, not but a sheet, but... Uh, he says, anarche, which is uh, the same in the beginning, in the beginning. And so creation says, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. The gospel says to us today, all things were made through the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Creation says, let there be light. And here in the gospel, we read the light shines in the darkness. Creation says, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. The gospel says, in him was life. Creation says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The gospel says, all who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. The gospel, you see, according to John, is that the creator himself has stooped down from heaven, down here to earth, to lift you back up to him. We'll come to that. But just note that. That's what the gospel is. The creator of the heavens and the earth has stooped down to our world so that he might lift you back up to the God who made you. Now, that's how the gospel starts, but... We also have to notice how it doesn't start. Did you expect, as we read the Gospels, you, in your own mind, if you've read the Gospels, did you expect this particular opening to the Gospel? Probably not. You probably expect, as you think of the Gospels, of the historical narrative of the birth of Jesus. And we'll come to that in our second service this afternoon. Matthew, for example, begins with a genealogy, tracing the promised Savior from Abraham all the way to David, all the way to Jesus' birth. Luke begins with the birth narrative, then a genealogy that goes all the way back 
from Jesus all the way back to the first man, Adam. Mark skips the birth narrative, but he starts with John the Baptist's preaching. In fact, the opening word of Mark is arche, the, uh, the, the word for beginning, the beginning of the gospel. John uses that very same word, arche, beginning, but he says to us, I'm not just taking you back in time when our Lord appeared on this earth, the birth narrative. I'm taking you back in time, to the beginning of time, in fact, before time itself. And so that's why I said the technical theological jargon for verses like these is very simply just, wow, it's a profound, profound statement of the wonder of who Jesus is, the gospel. Now, also note this. Note that as you read the opening of the gospel there, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, uh, so on and so forth. John doesn't yet identify who the Word is. Notice that. We'll, we'll come to that, but as he opens up the gospel, he doesn't identify who this Word is or what this Word is. And scholars have tried to find the, the philosophical background of what John means by using this term, logos, which we translate as word. But all along, all along, the answer to who or to what this word was is on the very first page of our Bible. Then God said. Then God said. What's so profound is that the word was with God. Notice that language there. The word was with God. God And the image that John uses here, the gospel writer that is, or two Johns, the gospel writer and John the Baptist, the gospel writer John uh, gives us an image here of closeness, of closeness between the word and God, closeness. In almost every example of this particular phrase, it speaks of a person being with another person. The word was with God, is communicating something here to us of closeness between persons. Now, the word is not merely speech, though. I mentioned, I said, you know, this, this, uh, this beginning here, uh, this word here, it's the, the language of Genesis 1, verse 3. Then God said. But the word here is not merely speech. Not just words here, but it's very personal. Very personal. There's distinctness, not just unity and closeness. The Word was with God, but there's also distinctness between God and the Word. But there's also that oneness. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Speaks of, again, personal relation between persons. There's, there, so they are distinct. There's God and there's the Word. But yet they are unified here, notice. There's oneness here. The word was God. The word was God. This is the mystery of our triune God, brothers and sisters. The God who is one, yet who is three. The medieval theologian Bernard of Clairvaux, he said of this passage, to closely examine the facts is rashness. How do we put together the fact that there's one God, yet three? That the, the, the word was with God, yet the word was God. How do we understand this? To closely examine the fact is rashness. To believe it is piety. To know it is life, eternal life. 
This is the mystery, the profound mystery of who our God is. And that's why we simply say to these words, wow, the word was with God. The word was God. And John reiterates this fact that the word is co-equal and co-powerful and as we say one of our creeds, consubstantial is the same substance as God. When he says he, uh, that he was in the beginning, again, with God, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This is as strong a way as John could, could muster in writing to say that the Word is God, the Creator. The Word's the Creator. In fact, we, you, can, you can see it in English, but... Uh, John here switches verb tenses in, this, in these sentences. When he says, all things were made, without him was not anything made. What, what tense is that? What kind of a verb tense is that? To say that all things were made. Past tense, right? So, all things were made, past tense. Without him was not anything made, past tense. But then he says that was or, or has been made. That's a perfect tense. This means that not only did the Word create everything in the beginning, but everything that ever will exist, He created all that too. He made all things in the beginning. He is the author of life. That's why He says, in Him was life. All things were made by Him. There was not anything made that was not made by him. All things have been made by him. As creator, in him was life. And uh, any life, therefore, that has ever existed owes its source to the word. Notice that. Verse 4. The word was life. All that lives and moves and has its being, everything that has breath, owes its existence to the Word. And John concludes this wow opening by transitioning from creational images of life and light. That's Genesis 1, life and light. But then he transitions into post-fall, where we are here in a fallen world. Images of not just light, but darkness. Notice. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, darkness was over the face of the deep, Genesis 1, verse 2, because there was no created light yet. But the darkness that's being described in verse 5 is the darkness of the fallenness and the sinfulness of our world. The entire cosmos, the entire world, is simply described by John as darkness. But just like in the beginning when God said, let there be light, and there was light in the darkness. In the same way, the Word is light, who is shining in the darkness of this fallen world. But the darkness has not overcome it. And this, this verb, overcome, it's a military verb that's used in, in ancient language of, of, of seizing something by force. The darkness has not overcome by force, the light. It can't, in fact. 
It's also a moral term, not just a military term, but a moral term. And it, and it can be translated, has not understood, or as the King James says, comprehended it. Meaning, as we later read, chapter 3, verse 19, the light has come into the world. People loved darkness rather than the light. You are here today, despite your own darknesses, your own sinfulnesses, desire to snuff out the light of the word. But again, the darkness cannot thwart, and our own attempts cannot deny the light. Recognize that this word, I'll tell you who it is in just a moment, this word is the light and the life of the world, and he is your light and your life. Now we go, secondly, to the, from, the, from the, this sublime language of this triune God, this mysterious God, this word and God, to this very simple, though. And we move from eternity into our time in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So last night we got to deliver cookies to the Lulees. <laughs> we brought cookies over and uh, it, was, it was fun. It was great. Duncan got to show off his TV and his sound system. He sat the boys down on the couch, each of them with her ear next to a little, a little uh, where the surround sound was, right? And... Uh, Guess what movie you put on? Well, I, I don't know if you were planning this, but Star Wars, right? <laughs> Star Wars, you know? And all of them are on the screen, so. If you, if you know the Star Wars uh, movies, you know how it begins. How does it begin? In a, in a galaxy far, far away, dot, 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 right? In that old, like, dot matrix uh, font. And then all of a sudden, right, you cue the John Williams score, you know, da 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 right? And, you know, Duncan's like just revving up that, that speaker, you know. Sound bar, subwoofer, surround sound, it was, you know, crazy. So uh, I guess you don't get to do that very often. So there, 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 there he was last night, uh, just, just uh, blaring it off. And then, and then, if you know the beginning, after the music starts, there's that, like, there's that little scroll of words that comes by. Uh, on the screen, and it sort of moves off into the distance, into space, and it disappears. And then what happens, if you know the Star Wars movies? John knows this. John knows it like by, by heart, right? Um, the camera, as it's looking off into the abyss of uh, infinity, and the words have scrolled away and disappeared, the camera always then like pans down, and it looks upon a planet or a ship, and then eventually it looks down to one particular person. That's what John is, in a sense, doing here. He is taking us from this epic beginning of et the eternal, from this infinite existence, this mysterious existence of who God is, and then, in a sense, in verse number six, the camera then pans down to our world and to the word who's touched our world and now down to this one man on this one world, this one planet, John. Now, did you notice in verse 6 that John is named before the word? 
We still don't know who the Word is. Well, we know who He is, but we still don't know who the Word is as reading this, this gospel story to us this morning. John later on goes on to say uh, of this Word, He must increase, but I must decrease. But for now, in John's gospel, the prologue, for now at least, at this verse, at this point in the verse, John takes precedence over the Word. We know His name. We don't know the Word's name. And verse 7 says that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. This is Old Testament prophet and preaching kind of language. To bear witness about something. To testify about something. That's what the prophets do in the Old Testament. They, 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 they testify. They, they bear witness. And as evidence that the darkness has not overcome the light, the writer says that John came that all might believe through him. Verse 7. Who is this man, this John? Well, the gospel tells us who he was not. Notice in verse 8. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was just a witness. The word, in contrast, is the true light. Not merely in contrast to all the kinds of false lights, but he means there he's the ultimate light who reveals God in contrast to all the the flickering lights of God's ancient revelation. God has revealed himself throughout history, Genesis to Malachi. And as you go from beginning to the end, that light gets a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, and finally the true light comes. That's what John is saying. That's what he's saying here. The true light gives light to everyone. Like the sun The true light, this word, shines on every square inch of this planet. J.C. Ryle once wrote, saying, if millions of mankind were mad or crazy enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness in that cave or the bandage of their eyes would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. Whether men will see or not, Christ is the true sun and the light of the world. Do you hear that? The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. This word is the true light who gives light to everyone. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. Sadly, though, he was in the very world that was made through him, yet the the world, verse 10, did not know him. Notice that. John is now switching his language here. He just spoke of the cosmos as the realm of all creation that that the Word made. But now he uses the very same word, cosmos, to speak of this place that we live on as a place of rebellion. He made this realm but everyone in it rebelled. How? Look at verse verse 11. His own people did not receive him. Aha! So it seems as if the darkness has overcome the light. Contrary to verse 5. But the story doesn't end there, notice. Verse 12. To all who did receive him, So his own own people, verse 11, his own people did not receive him, but to those who did, who believed. 
Notice what it means to receive, to believe in his name. He gave the right to become children, children of God. This word, this light, this true light, this ultimate light came into a world of unbelief and darkness, but more specifically he came for his ancient covenant people, but not all of them recognized him as the Lord who brought their forefathers out of Egypt. Nor did they receive him as their savior from their sins. But, John says, when you and I receive and recognize the one in whom was life, we begin to grow in our spiritual life that John calls here being born again. This birth, this, this being born again, verse 13, it's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. What does all that mean? The flesh, the will of, uh, the bl- uh, blood, will of the flesh, the will of man. What is, what is he saying? He's saying it's not a natural thing. This, this, this second birth, this being born again, It's not a matter of your natural state, your human state. It's not a matter of who you're born from or where you're born. Natural life isn't good enough to get you out of that darkness and into this realm of light. From the old creation to the new creation. No, he says, you must be born how? You must be born of God, he says. Notice that in verse 13. You must be born of God. Do you recognize the light shining in your own mind and heart even now? Do you hear his voice now? He's calling to you. I gave you life. I made you who you are. And I give you life each and every day. But I have more for you, which is called eternal life. Not just an insurance policy that you can live your life how you want right now and then you can eventually go into eternity. No, but eternal life begins now. There's a certain quality of life that exists now when we come to Christ. And so he says to you, receive him. Believe in him today. So as that camera pans down upon our world and that mind-blowing, mysterious word who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, who made all things, and Him is life, and who as the light shines in the darkness, the Gospel writer now connects, notice, the creation to the Gospel, the good news, for you and me. So he begins in the beginning, even before the beginning, the Gospel before the world even began, And then he begins to speak of this man who who came and who proclaimed and who spoke of as a witness of this light. But then John connects all this to us when he says in verse 14, that amazing passage, that that word that made all things, that was with God, that was God, that word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That word, which is eternal, entered our time. That word, which is the creator, became created. So strangely. That word, which was invisible, 
became visible. That word which cannot be contained, tabernacled. That's what it means to dwell, tabernacled among us in our humanity. In our humanity. Way back when, out in the wilderness, after the Lord had redeemed Israel and brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness, the Lord told Moses, make me a sanctuary. Make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. That, that's what the tabernacle was all about. That God would dwell among the Israelites. John 1 verse 14 is telling us that's come true. That's come true. And the dwelling of God, his glory, as he described it, his glory uh, in the Old Testament, that was called the Shekinah, this glory of God, that Shekinah, that glory that once dwelt in a sanctuary of, of curtains, of goat skins and animal skins and so forth, now dwells in flesh and bone, in the body and soul of this word become flesh. And because the word was made flesh, John mentions three benefits for you and for me. Three benefits for us of the word becoming flesh. In his flesh, we have seen, verse 14, we have seen that glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. Now notice that in verse 14. The relationship that exists in the earlier part of the passage between the Word and God, or God and the Word, notice now that that's identified to us, that when, when John is speaking of God, he's speaking of the Father. And when he's speaking of the Word, he's speaking of the Son. You see that there? The Word is the Son. And as the Son, He's the one who once dwelt in the tabernacle. He's the one who told Moses that He was the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice those last two words there, last two phrases, steadfast love and faithfulness. The God who revealed Himself to Moses in the cleft of the rock called Himself full of, a God full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Those two Hebrew words are related to our words here, grace and truth. The word became flesh, tabernacled amongst us. That's Old Testament language. He's full of grace and truth. That's the same language of being a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. You see what John is saying is that we can't see the unveiled glory of God and live. That's what verse 18 says. But what can we see? We can see grace and truth. How? How can we see grace and truth? We, here, 2,000 years later, we see grace and truth in the life of Jesus revealed in the Gospels. His grace is revealed in receiving and forgiving sinners like you and me, time and time again. He's always receiving and He's always forgiving sinners. And we see His truth in living color, in His teachings and in His preaching and in His parables. He's full of grace and truth and He displays that. The first benefit of 
the word becoming flesh is that, as he says, we have seen his glory. But notice how he describes the glory. Grace and truth. The grace and truth of God who forgives and receives sinners and who then teaches sinners the way that they should live. To receive him, verse 12, means that, as verse 14 says, from his fullness of grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace. Notice, we, we receive grace. The word becoming flesh and tabernacling amongst the world in the Lord Jesus Christ, the benefit, is that, a benefit of that is that when we receive him, we receive his grace. To receive him, to receive of the fullness of his grace and truth is to receive, he says, grace upon grace, verse 16. Grace upon grace. This is a really interesting phrase, grace upon grace. The image that, 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 the, that the gospel writer John gives us is that he, he says it's grace in the place of, or grace instead of grace. It's a really strange phrase. We receive grace in the place of grace. Grace instead of grace. It's really strange. What does it mean? Well, God has revealed himself, as I mentioned, throughout human history. We see that in the Old Testament. And time and time and time and time and time again, he revealed his grace. That he himself is gracious. And he revealed himself in in ancient times, especially, we read there, for the law was given through Moses. God revealed, even through the giving of the law, God was showing his grace because he was humbling people in their sins. He was showing them their dependency and their great, great need of grace. And so God then would receive them in grace at the tabernacle, the temple, and the sacrifices, and the priests, and so forth. But John is saying there's something more. God revealed his grace throughout human history, but now we've received grace in the place of that grace. Instead of that grace, we've received grace. There's something more inexhaustibly gracious that's come in the place of the law that was given through Moses. That's grace and truth. And then finally in verse 17, we know the name of the word, the name of the Son. It's finally revealed through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but in the place of and instead of that grace, God has given us an inexhaustible grace in Jesus Christ. You see, God had been revealing himself throughout human history as a gracious God to sinners ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Ever since Noah and his family were plucked out of a totally depraved world in the, in the, uh, from the flood in an ark. He revealed his grace to a family of idol worshipers and he called out of them one man, Abram. And he, and he revealed his grace time and time again to his ancient people, the Israelites. But all of that was in preparation when the word the Son took upon himself our humanity, the Word became flesh, as Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. You see, kids, the Old Testament, it's, Old Testament's like a caterpillar. The New Testament is like the butterfly. The Old Testament is preparation for the New Testament. Just like a caterpillar, it lives its life and it eats all those leaves and eventually uh, it, 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 it kind of cocoons up or it, uh, it, it 
goes into a chrysalis. Uh, moths go into cocoons. Caterpillars, butterflies go into a chrysalis. Uh, they go into that little chrysalis and they transform, don't they? They transform, they change. But their caterpillar life is all to prepare themselves for that butterfly life. In the same way, the Old Testament was all meant to prepare for the New Testament. The law of Moses in the place of or uh, uh, takes, ta- uh, gives way to the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the new. So this, this word became flesh, the Son of God, who is the Lord Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the one that we've seen his glory, full of grace and truth, and we, re- and we receive that grace, But notice the the coup de grace, verse 18, the the great final thing he says here. The benefit to us, verse 18, when he says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. No one's ever seen God. No one can see God and live, God told Moses. No one can see God in his unbridled majesty and live. But, but, the only God, who's that? It's, he's the Son. He's the Word. Who is at the Father's side has made the Father known. The Son has been at the Father's side, or as the older translations say, in the bosom of the Father. That secret place of perfect fellowship and intimacy. This is the Holy Trinity again. The Word was with God. The Word was with, right? The Son was with the Father. The Son is God. And so at his side, from all of eternity and for all of eternity, in the bosom of the Father, in perfect love and in perfect life and in perfect fellowship forever and ever and ever. And unlike Moses, who could not see God and live, who had to be hidden into a little cleft or a crag in a rock somewhere out in the wilderness, and who even told God, I tremble. In contrast to Moses, Trembling in fear, hiding in the cleft of a rock, not able to see the glory of God. The Word, verse 1. The only Son, verse 14. The only God, verse 18. Note again that language of distinctness and, and, and oneness here. This one has seen the Father and lived to tell the story. And he came down from that life in the bosom of the Father. He came down from there in that place of perfect fellowship to reveal to the world, to make known who God is. That's why he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's the gospel, that's the good news. You see, verse 18 comes full circle all the way back to verse 1. The word who was with God is at the Father's side, in his bosom, verse 18. The word who was God, verse 1, is called here the only God, verse 18. The word, verse 1, that self-expressive revelation of God, has made known 
the Father. He's made known the Father. Exegesato is the, is the Greek term here. That comes into our English as we, we talk about exegesis, how we interpret and explain the Bible. The Word has exegeted, He's made known, He's explained to us the Father. And that's why it's a wow passage. The Word has made known the Father. What a gospel. And so the passage opens up with the beginning. And even before in the beginning. The beginning, quote-unquote, in eternity. With that beautiful and perfect and inexpressible relationship between the Father and the Son. The Word and God. The Father and Son. God and the only God. So it's so amazing. And the Father and the Son, they are the, the, they are the beginning with the Holy Spirit. The beginning and the end, or the goal of all things. That's who God is. He's the beginning and He's the end. He made it all and He's going to consummate it all. It comes from Him and it's all for Him. But this is also a story to us. You and I are called to begin our end today. When you come to Jesus, you give your life to Him, you follow after Him, you find the goal, the end, the purpose of your human existence, which is to know God. To know God. That's what the Son, the son has come. Jesus has come to make known the Father. That's our end. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's why we exist, to know God. He made us in the beginning, and he comes to us in his Son so that we would, in the end, know him and to grow in that relationship with him so that we might live with him now and grow now and mature now, but that we might live with him in eternal blessedness. That we as creatures, as redeemed creatures, as sinners saved by grace, might know a little bit of what it means to be as the Son in the bosom of the Father, to be close to God and to know Him, to see Him face to face. And so here's a story of the beginning and the end. The God who is the beginning and the God who is the end. But it's also a story and it's a call to you and to me that we would come to the end of ourselves and find our beginning in the Lord Jesus Christ. And finding Him, the beginning of life for us and the light of the world to us, that we might find our end and find our goal and find our purpose, which is to serve and to love and to be in God's presence forever and forever. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, our merciful God, we bless you and we praise you today for giving us these wonderful, wonderful words. We ask now that you would write them upon the tablets of our hearts Impress them upon our conscience by your Holy Spirit. Lord, call us to faith. Call us to follow after Christ. Call us to, fall, uh, to, to, uh, to find in him our purpose, our goal, our end, because he's the one in whom is life. And that life is the light of men. And we ask that now as we come to the Lord's Supper, that you would give us this, aid, this extra aid, this extra help to seal and to impress to apply to our souls uh, the gospel itself, Christ himself. And we ask that in his name and all of God's people say, Amen.